Hey guys, you're listening to a very special Father's Day message from Pastor Brett called Dad Goals, right here on the Engage Network. So thank you for coming on out and making church a priority and making it a part of this incredible weekend. You know, uh, they say that Mother's Day is the third largest attended church day of the year because all the moms are like, you know what I want for Mother's Day? I want you to come to church with me. And, uh, <clears throat> and all the sons and grandsons feel guilty and they want to go for dinner later. And so they, they come and then they go for lunch and all those things. That being said, Father's Day is not that way. It's generally, you know, a little, a little slide down. So this is, this is my, my goal, and obviously I'm really preaching to the choir because you're here today. I'm going to have to say this next week at Horizon Stage. Uh, my goal for next year's Father's Day is that we're going to flip that script and make Father's Day, you know, the third most attended day, and we'll put those Mother's Day moms uh, to shame uh, in attendance only. We'll honor them and then, and then crush them in victory the month after. If we make this a competition, I feel like men will rise, you know? It's like, if there's something, this is the championship of all championships. Instead, I guess we're handing out trophies next year on Father's Day. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get jerseys and things. Uh, all right. No interaction today, so that's the kind of day it's going to be. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app, uh, all of your notes and Bible verses are preloaded on there. You hit the More button in the bottom right-hand corner, and then Events, and then you'll see Geolocated Engaged Church. Happy Father's Day. Today's message is entitled, Dad Goals. Dad Goals. You're like, does this apply to me? Yes. Ephesians... (laughs) Ephesians chapter 6. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. We're slowly warming up. It says this, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. You get that? This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Now, you might be wondering why I'm starting with honoring your father's mother on Father's Day. I kind of thought it was abundantly clear why we're starting with honor your father's and mother's on Father's Day. But I want to make mention of this. This is the the first commandment that does come with a promise, as it said in Scripture. Meaning, if we do those things, life will go well for you. Now, that is easy to say if you've grown up in a good situation. It's easy to say, yeah, no, I, I like to honor my, my mom and dad. And, you know, I grew up in a great situation, so I love to do those kind of things. My, my dad is a superhero in, in many areas of my life, mainly because I don't think I could even function uh, without my dad in my life, as you all know from all the stories I tell. All of those stories are 100% fact and not fabricated in any way. My kids do ask me to call my dad when things break in our house. That is... That is 100%. The tr- Dad, do you think we should call Papa? Yes, I think we should. It's what, it's what we do. So, so it's, it's, it's easy for me to do this, but I understand 100% that that is not always the case for us. So what does it then mean to honor our fathers and mothers? What well, means that we can honor our fathers and mothers in the natural, but we can also honor those in the spiritual as well. So there are people in our lives, there are men- mentors and, and teachers, and there are heroes in our lives that have walked with us in every season, it's important to understand and to celebrate the contributions of those people into our lives. I am fortunate because not only do I have great spirit, uh, physical parents, but I have incredible spiritual father in my life, Pastor Lawrence, who's my pastor. And, uh, uh, and that is awesome to be able to honor those people. You're like, but what if I don't have 
that. We have an incredible heavenly father who we can give all glory and honor to on this day. And you're feeling like, man, you still didn't answer my question. What do I do when it doesn't add up? What do, what do I do when I don't feel like I have this relationship? Well, the first thing that we can do in honor is that we can recognize that there is value in that person, even though it may not feel like they're worth celebrating. This isn't easy. I didn't even anticipate going here right now. This isn't easy because we're like, I don't want to honor. Can I tell you that there are some of the best parts of you are parts of them. And so we can honor those good things. We can celebrate the good things. And we can pray and we can trust them with Jesus. And we can let go of some of the pain and unforgiveness that we're holding on to, the best thing that you could do to honor them is to take a step towards forgiveness. And as we take a step towards forgiveness, the peace that surpasses all understanding will begin to flood your heart and your mind because the best thing you could do by honoring them with your forgiveness is you're actually honoring yourself by letting go of some of the bitterness and the things that have bound you up. I believe it is a strategy from the pit of hell to break down relationships with fathers, between fathers and sons and fathers and daughters. It's just a strategy from the pits of hell. Because if Satan himself could break down, if he could steal, kill, and destroy those relationships, and he could disrupt, distort, and disfigure our image of God and our relationship to God, and he can disrupt, distort, and change our own identity. Because as we distance ourselves from our natural father, we begin to distance ourselves from actually a part of our identity. Which is why hell itself loves it when our relationships break down. Because we struggle to see our heavenly father as anyone else other than our earthly father. And while we've been here before and we've dabbled in this before, I just, before we go any further, I just, I want to pray one more time. And I want to pray for you, anyone who's struggling to see their heavenly father because of natural circumstances. Can we pray together? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes all across this place. God, we are thankful that you are a loving, kind, generous, heavenly Father who loves us with an unfailing love, who chases us down, who doesn't leave us, who doesn't forsake us, who doesn't abandon us. And today, I pray that you would come and wrap us up in your heavenly fatherly arms of love that today you would bring healing into broken parts and broken areas and broken hearts that today would not be a day that brings us down but today is a day that we resurface maybe for the first time breathing new air letting go of what has held us back pressing on towards the future. So I now, as the father of this house, declare 
that every person in this room has a father who loves them and who declares over them that they love you and they are well pleased in you. We thank you for who you are, Jesus. Open our hearts and our minds as we trust you. And everybody said, amen, amen. Have you ever done one of those DNA test things? Anyone do that before? You did it? What'd you, what was your, come up here. What's your results? Come on up here. Come on up. You were just up here 30 seconds ago. It's not like you're afraid of the stage. Share your results with the class. All right, so you know you've seen, she's German, all right. You know, I, I've been thinking about doing one of these DNA. Everyone wants to know where they come from. You found some cousins in Germany. I mean, if you came up here, you could tell a great story. Anyways, it's fine. Stay exactly where you are. Everyone's trying to figure out, like, where they come from, right? Like, uh, I, I can't, we have a good idea, uh, but it's, like, passed down. And, and like, the, it's really interesting to, like, spit into a little thing and, like, just send it off. And then they, they send you back and they tell you where you come from. The truth is, uh, a lot of us, we, we might have a good guess about, like, where we come from. But I just wonder what happens if, like, some random result shows up. Because I think what happens when some random result shows up is that grandma and grandpa got a lot of explaining to do. Like, if there's, like, you're... Th- 3% African. And you're like, what? From what nation? They're like, Zimbabwe. You're like, how? When? When did this happen? I like, I, there's just something in us that wants to know our roots, right? We want to know where we come from and like what we're made up of, what our combination is. Like, I, I'm like, I'm just like a, I'm a real combo deal. Like, I'm a combo package. I'm just the true mosaic of European nations. Uh, and and, and that's interesting because each one has its own own trait. But it's like there are some definitely like some like characteristics that get passed down, right? Like, every, you know, every nationality has their own way of doing things. They have their own culture. And the truth is our families each have a culture and we pass those things down. There is a family resemblance. So not only do I look like my dad, uh, in, in many ways I, I, I you know, I, I am him in some strange ways. Like, but you can't fix anything. I know. I'm like, I'm like the part of him that can't fix things. Like that's, that, that's, that's those, those parts. And I'm also a combination of my mom and my dad. In fact, I've got my, my dad's body and my mom's brain. Like it's just, it's just, I know, I'm a strange combination. It's just, it is what it is, but there is a family resemblance. What's amazing to me is to, to watch and see then, then my sons. Uh, I was just out at an event at a conference this week in Kingston, tagged along, and everyone's like, I think he's with you. I'm like, really, what gave it away? He's literally my clone. Like, there is some family resemblance. And, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting up. I'm not going to embarrass him, but I'm sitting up here with Everett. And, um, you know, there is zero family resemblance. And most people think I kidnapped him from a shopping mall somewhere because he's just he's so fair and he looks like Desiree. But there is some family resemblance because you can start to see your, your attributes. It's the best part about being a dad, right? You're starting to see the attributes, like, popping out. And you're like, that's me. And, like, and I'm like, always like Des like that's definitely you you need to punish that you need to discipline that that is definitely this rebellious spirit is you and she's like ah I don't know about that I'm like listen there's just some family resemblance but can I tell you there's some uh, more layers to this family resemblance there's more layers to us being children of God and to having a heavenly father check this out in John 14 verse 20 when I am raised to life again Jesus speaking when I am raised to life again you will know that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you like that sounds like a riddle 
Say that again. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I'm in my Father and you're in me and I'm in you. So God, the Father, Jesus, and me all together hanging out, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't understand. Let's break it down a little further. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 says it this way. So all of us who have had that veil removed, meaning that we now see Jesus, we've invited him into our lives, can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. There is some family resemblance. When we start to have a personal, one-on-one, everyday kind of relationship with Jesus, we start to look more and more like him. We start to look more and more like our brother Jesus, co-heirs with Jesus. But the crazy thing like that is Jesus looks like his dad. So we begin to look more and more like our heavenly Father. It says this in Ephesians 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice, as a pleasing aroma to God. Imitate God, it says in Ephesians 5, verse 1. Imitate God. We have this incredible heavenly father and this model, earthly model named Jesus with who we're trying to look more and more like every single day. The truth is a lot of us, we we connect with this idea of the Jesus person, right? We like Jesus because he's like cool and he says things to the Pharisees. We're like, hey, you brood of vipers. And like he's got some great like insult moments. We love the moment he goes in and flips the tables. We love when he heals people. We love when he's compassionate. He says, let the little children come to me. But sometimes we struggle with the idea of our heavenly father because we think of him as the angry old guy in the Old Testament who just wanted war. And so sometimes when we read the Bible, like, I, I, I get being like Jesus, but I have a disconnect from my heavenly father. I don't understand how he is loving and compassionate. And kind. I don't understand how I could connect with him on any level. And yet the truth is we look a lot like him. There is a family Resemblance. It goes as far as in Genesis 126. Allie doesn't have this. This is a bonus content because for those of you who are all feverishly taking notes at this moment, that we are made in the image of God. And it actually says in Genesis 126, let us make men in our image. Like, why is there a plural? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the midst of a conversation saying, let us make men in our image image so we are literally made handcrafted and created in the image of God there is some family resemblance even if you don't want there to be or even if you don't understand the good side or the good attributes I wanted to take us to the book of Jonah who likes the book of Jonah anyone like the book of Jonah thank you one person interested in the book of Jonah you might think I know all there is to know about Jonah Jonah didn't want to go where God wanted him to go, got on a boat, doesn't know anything about God, doesn't realize you can't outsail the creator of the universe, gets into a storm, they roll dice, figure it out, Jonah's the problem, throw him overboard, and instead of dying, giant sperm whale eats him. I just decided it's a sperm whale. Um, shark doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because teeth. Uh, <laughs> he would have been maimed, right? It's got to be a whale. 
just soft bristles, you know. He really got it. He basically got cleaned as he went in, just bristles like, you know, living in, a, in an environment. So, he, you know, you think you know all there is to know about Jonah. He just gets vomited on a beach, walks up, goes, hey, everybody, it's time for you to like God, and he will not kill you all. And that's that. But we maybe have missed some moments or elements that are important in the narrative of Jonah. The first thing being that it was important that Jonah was barfed onto the beach. It's significant because the people in the town of Nineveh where he was going actually worshipped a water god. So when Jonah gets thrown up on a beach and literally comes from a whale's mouth and walks out and says, I have a message from God. They took him pretty seriously because they thought Aquaman is here to deliver a message from the Most High God. Literally, they're like, this is, this is actual Bible things. Like, this is not even, you think DC was original and Marvel's original. The Bible is the most original superhero story of all time. Origin story of every superhero happens in the Bible. Aquaman walks out and says, turn to God. And they do. The Bible says that they took Jonah so seriously that 120,000 people lived in the city that they all started fasting and praying and saying, God, please don't destroy us. Because back in the day, that was a literal thing. Fireballs coming from heaven to be destroyed. That's the, in fact, sometimes that's the Old Testament God we think about, right? Fireballs from heaven, destroying people, wars, crushing people. That's who we think of when we think of the Old Testament God sometimes. The angry old guy with a big beard that wants to take nations and conquest nations. In this case, he sends Jonah to say, turn to God or I will destroy you. Because you are wicked and you are evil. And in that moment, the king of Nineveh slipped off his throne, which I think is one of the most significant moments in the Old Testament, where a king slips off his throne, which is the same invitation that we get to slip off the thrones of our lives as we invite Jesus in. And they all fasted and prayed and turned their lives towards the Heavenly Father, said, God, we need you. In fact, not only did they fast and pray, but all the animals fasted and prayed. And if I'm being honest and you are needing some breakthrough in your life, it's time that you just let your, fat, your cat go on a fast for a while. Just don't feed her for three days and see what happens and the heavens will open and victory will come in Jesus' name. But I want to pick it up in Jonah chapter 4. This is the behind the scenes moment in Jonah chapter 4. If you're with me, say I'm with you. Thank you, Brendan. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. So the change of plans that they're talking about is that God decided he's not going to destroy Nineveh, that they've turned to him, they've turned their hearts to him, that they've turned and said, we, you are our heavenly father. You're God, you are our father. You know, it's like, and they turned towards him and they, they asked him into their lives and, and they started a whole new chapter as a city. And Jonah starts freaking out and he's mad about this. This change of plans, meaning not destroying a city of 120,000 people, made Jonah upset. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. That's the reason he got on the ship. That's the reason he got on the boat. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, God. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And like a true father, 
the Lord says, is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it right for you to care more about your prophetic word? Is it right for you to care more about your gifting than it is about the lives of 120,000 people? Is it more important for, spoken like a true dad, is it more important for you to be right than for these lives to be saved? Is it okay for you to be angry about this? Is it, is it okay? Sometimes I have found myself reflecting on Scripture and wondering, what does my heavenly Father look like? And the first place I go is the place that you probably all go is John 3, 16, for God, meaning our Heavenly Father, so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son. I go there, but I'm like, that's the God of the New Testament. What about the Old Testament God that we all can't wrap our minds around? What does he look like? Because if Jesus is his son and we love Jesus and we love those attributes, then they had to come from somewhere. And the reason I shared that passage in Jonah 4 is because that is what our Heavenly Father looks like. Did you, did you catch it? Jonah said, the reason I went the other way is because I know that you're merciful. I know you on a personal level, God, and I know that you love to give mercy. And I'm mad about that. God, I know you Heavenly Father, on a personal level, and I know that you love to give compassion. And we don't want compassion here. God, I know that you're slow to get angry. And I'm not into that. I know that you're eager to turn away from destroying people. In fact, your plan is to save people. See, that's, that's our Heavenly Father. You thought he was angry and you thought he was mad. You thought he was condemning, but in fact, he's merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, and eager to turn back from destroying people. You see, what we have here is a classic perception problem. When we see our Heavenly Father, the situations and circumstances of our lives give us an unclear picture. Reminds me of this parable in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus shares this story about a rich ruler who's going away on vacation or going away on a business trip. And he leaves three servants in charge of his household. And he gives each servant a certain amount of money. To one, he gives five bags of silver. To another, he gives two. And to another, he gives one. Each according to their giftedness or their ability, their natural ability. He says, look after your mother for me. And then he leaves. Nobody got it. It's fine. <laughs> so he leaves him with this money and, and it's just their job to just look after it. And when some time had passed and the boss came back from his business trip, he called in his team and he said, okay, team, staff meeting. What did you guys do with what I gave you? And the first servant comes out and he goes, listen, you gave me five. I made some investments. I made some deals. I, I cashed out of this. I moved some money around. We bought this company. We experienced these kind of returns and we got five more bags. 
And the master was full of praise. And it says this in Matthew 25, verse 21. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Best words ever from your boss. Let's have a party and I'm paying, right? Then the servant with uh, two bags comes forward and says, says, so what did you do? He said, okay, so I uh, restructured this division and I moved things around over here. And, uh, you know, I I thought we could maybe do this, 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 and this. And it's actually brought these returns back. And so you gave me two and I made two. And guess what? The master was full of praise. And he said to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's celebrate together. Let's have a party. And he turns I believe with joyful expectation towards the servant with one bag. And the servant with one bag starts talking. Verse 24, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Translation into, he dug a hole. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have got some interest on it. We've got a classic perception problem here because I don't know about you, but when I read it, I understand the master to be the his personality to look more like the last, as the last servant describes it. Harsh, dangerous, and scary. Except if we're evaluating the evidence, we'll see that the master is somebody who provides opportunity, trusts somebody explicitly, is quick to praise, Quick to, quick to build up and encourage, and is genuinely excited for his servants and gives them more and more opportunity. Because you know what he did to the guy who made five? He gave him a bonus. He gave the one guy's one bag to the guy who already made five. We've got a perception problem because the evidence states that this master's a good master who's generous and kind, who builds platforms for people to succeed, who invests in people's dreams, who give people opportunity to rise to a new level and to a new occasion, who lets them taste wealth that they've never tasted before, who celebrates them and who encourages them and speaks word of life. In no time do we ever see confirmed that this master is who's that one servant says he is he let his fear drive his perception of his master. And the honest truth is, though the evidence weighs in our Heavenly Father's favor, at times we allow our perception to cloud our vision of a loving Father. I want to share something out of Ephesians 6. This is, we'll pivot, now we've got the heaviness dropped. We'll pivot to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to leave something practical for you dads. Are you ready for these dad goals, anyone? Okay. 
we're struggling today. That's all right. I really, I should have wore socks and sandals today. I felt like that maybe would have like really, yeah, like really dadded it up, you know, maybe some khaki shorts, you know, uh, fanny pack is they're back. So I couldn't wear that. That's too, that's too, yeah, you wear, you wear it every day. So Ephesians chapter six, verse four, it says this fathers do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline instruction that comes from the Lord. Before I unpack this, uh, I want to share with you that there's an epidemic in our community. Do you, are you aware of this epidemic? It's growing at exponential levels, and it actually causes me, when I see it, to get a holy kind of anger that burns. The, the same kind of anger that caused Jesus to overturn tables is the thing that comes in, inside of me when I see this thing happen. The epidemic is simple. It's an epidemic of fathers and sons or fathers and their children riding bikes with all the kids wearing helmets and the dads wearing a helmet that is unclipped. Dads, not clipping up your helmet, buckling it up, does not make you any cooler. You are wearing a helmet and by nature you look stupid. You look silly. You do not look good. So you unbuckling it does not say, man, I'm cool. <laughs> what it says is, wow, I'm a loser. <laughs> because I tell my kids, if you want to stay alive, you should wear a helmet. And you make them, like I always double check. We always buckle up the helmet, right? Yep, we always buckle it up. We always make sure. But we get out there and we're like, I'm too cool. for. I don't need to buckle this up. I'm cool, dad. Incorrect. You're not cool, Dad. You are misinformed, Dad. And what we would like to see you is alive, Dad, not dead, Dad. So please buckle up your helmet. And you're like, why do you care about this so much? Because though it seems silly and insignificant, this is how we pro pro provoke our children to anger. By saying, do what I say, not what I do. See, you thought provoking your child to anger was just like saying things to insult them. And I'm saying, you shouldn't do that either. But I'm convinced that the greatest epidemic in our society in terms of dads is that we say, do what I say, not as I do. As a dad, it's our job to create a framework for success for our kids, right? To create a safe and a loving family environment. And the best way that we can do that is anytime we say, do this, that we also live that. Otherwise, there's a seed that gets planted in our sons and our daughters that says, well, dad says it, but he doesn't mean it. And when we begin to deposit that seed, it begins to bear fruit. Because when times get tough and when you have to bring that, discipline or you have to bring that strong word there's something in there that says dad said that he loved me at the end of it but he doesn't normally do what he says so does he truly love me fathers do not provoke your children to anger we don't provoke them by living out of alignment if you believe that a personal relationship with Jesus is truly the best thing for your kids, then I guess we have to ask, how's your personal relationship with Jesus? 
See, I can remember, I'm going to embarrass him, but I can remember a time where I, I woke up in the morning and I saw my dad down in the guest room praying. And I can remember I saw the same thing from my mom sitting upstairs in the living room, reading her Bible and praying. We didn't really talk about it. It was just there. It just happened. But I was entirely aware of what that meant. They didn't just, I mean, I grew up in an environment where we were at church every time the doors were open, which literally meant every single day. But guess who was there with me leading the charge? I may not have had a choice in those moments, but I knew that they weren't dropping me off. I knew that they were there in the trenches because they'd established a priority in our house that following Jesus is the first thing that we do. And they established a priority that says we might not always know the answer, but now I've given it words, but we follow Jesus one step at a time because that's what their lives evidence. See, as we're considering Father's Day today, I want to leave this. I know it's challenging. It's a challenging thought. Does my life represent to my kids the things that I'm saying out loud? I've got four thoughts, four attributes that I'm calling dad goals that I want to share with you. Here's the first dad goal. And this is really for everybody, but especially for us dads. Dad goal number one, have mercy. I know it's an Uncle Jesse kind of thing. But don't you remember that Jonah said, you know, God, I know you, Heavenly Father. I know who you are, and you are merciful. And so when I'm looking at my life and I'm establishing dad goals in my life about the type of person, about the type of man that I want to be, about what I want to model, what I want to encourage in my sons, it's that I'm someone who has mercy, who is merciful for anyone who needs mercy that extends to them and extends to those who are outside of my family, who think differently than I do, who talk differently than I do. Let me be a person who looks like my heavenly father, who exhibits some of his traits. Let me be somebody. My dad goals is to look like my heavenly father and to have mercy. Second dad goal. Have compassion. To have compassion. I know that societally we're told that dads need to be tough and strong. And you know what, dads, you are tough and strong. Good for you. You're awesome. But we could learn to have more compassion right I think this applies across the board this is my dad goal to have more compassion and I'm thinking about uh, did you know that when this is really cool every time a major miracle was performed in the New Testament by Jesus the Bible says that he was moved by compassion he was moved with compassion he was exhibiting an attribute of his father when he was moved by compassion, he was looking like his dad. And when he moved in that manner and acted in that way, the power that comes along with the attribute of his dad came too. 
So when somebody needed to be raised from the dead in Luke chapter 7, when there's a little boy on a stretcher, Jesus was moved with compassion and the compassion of the Father flowed through him and it came with the power of the Father that raised the little boy from the dead. Dad, you think you're going to give something up by being compassionate. I think you're going to step into something new by being compassionate. When we're moved by compassion, miracles happen. Number three, this is a winner. Slow to anger. I think we could all use a little bit of this. Slow to anger. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. We could all use a little slowdown to the rage. I'm a passionate person by nature, which means I essentially have two emotions. Excitement and anger. I have two. Doesn't mean I can't control it. Doesn't mean I can't learn to develop that and hold on to it. I can be slow to anger because the attribute of my heavenly father is that he is slow to anger, that he is patient to pour it out. Contrary to popular belief and contrary to our perception problem, our heavenly father is slow to anger. And here's the last one. Drum roll, please. Eager to turn back from, let's go to the next one, destroying people. You guys can come up. You're like, I don't understand how this is a point. I don't have the physical power to send fireballs and destroy a whole city. You're right, but you do have the physical power to send fireballs out of your mouth and destroy individuals. We've all had that moment at work, and maybe it's clearly just me, and I don't mean work at the church here because this would paint me in a really bad light, where you're like, man, that person drives me so insane, and they just keep doing everything they can to push all your buttons that you get that thought that crosses your mind. It's like, I will destroy you. I will undermine you at every opportunity. I'm going to speak about you to your coworkers. I'm going to plant a seed of doubt about you. I'm going to have a scheme. I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to, I'm going to destroy you and I'm going to destroy your career because you come up against me. I'm going to unleash some terror on you because you don't, do you know who I am? Oh, it's just only me who's had that moment or that thought that's flashed through your mind. It's like, I can't believe you do that to me. I will get back to you. Except that the Bible says, our Heavenly Father says, vengeance is mine. It's not yours. It's your daddy's job. I'm eager to turn back from destroying people. And you know what the opposite thing of destroying people is? It's building people up. A 4B is I'm eager to turn away from destroying people, which means I'm eager to build people up. I'm eager to give people a platform. I'm eager to not be the hero as a dad, but to be a hero maker that says, you know what? I want you to outpace me. I want you to outperform me. I want you to do more than I could ever do. And I'm going to use my resource and I'm going to use my talent and I'm going to use my ability to invest it into you. And you know what? You probably are going to stumble and you are going to fall, but I'm going to be here to lift you up. I'm going to be here to encourage you. I'm not going to destroy you. I'm not going to tear you down because I'm threatened by you. I'm going to push you forward, move you into the next level because that's who my father is and I look like my dad. I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to help you to rise like you've never risen before so that you could understand the love and the depth of the grace and mercy that comes 
from my heavenly father. My dad goes, have mercy, be compassionate, learn to be slow to anger, and turn away from destroying people and turn towards lifting people up. Everything that I have, all that I have as a dad is focused on this one thing, investing it into my kids, both naturally and spiritually, so that they can go far, so much farther than I could ever have asked, hoped, 